1: my judge? Who do you think you are coming to me that way and saying, I'm doing this and I'm doing that? You need to be spirit-led. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit to accomplish what God wants to accomplish. You can't do the things in the flesh. Is it something that God wants or is it something that we want? Remember, getting ahead of God, we talked about God's timing. We said it's the purpose during the time. It's not the end result. It's as this time you're waiting on God. It's the purpose of what's happening then because God cares about the now.
0: Rely upon the power of the Holy Spirit of God. Today, you learn from Pastor Dave's message that in order to accomplish the will that God has for you, you need to be led by His Spirit. The Holy Spirit empowers you to move and act on behalf of God. Wait upon His strength, power, and voice to empower you on God's behalf. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of Acts chapter 7 as he begins his message, Witnessing Through Moses.
1: Because we're going to over so many verses today, I'm not going to take a long time to read them before we study. However, I will go over each verse as we're moving along, okay? So if you want to hang on your Bible, open to chapter 7, verses 17 through 36. Let me begin this morning by telling you a little story. There was a young salesman who became discouraged because he'd been rejected by so many customers. He would approach these customers and he would reject it left and right, reject it, reject it, reject it. So he decided he was going to ask a more experienced salesperson, why? How how come I get rejected? How come I get rejected every time I go to a door? The older salesman looked at him and said, I don't understand that. I've been hit on the head. I've been called dirty names, and I've been thrown out the door. But I've never been rejected. From this story, it appears that rejection is in the eyes of the beholder, or better yet, the one who is rejected. There's an old saying that goes, rejection isn't what happens to us, but how we interpret what happens to us. Pretty interesting. Have you ever suffered rejection? When you suffered rejection, how did it cause you to act? Did the rejection end up helping you, or did it end up leaving you scarred? Have you ever rejected someone else? How did you feel about it when you did that? Have you been rejected because of your Christian beliefs, because of your Christian faith? How did this make you feel? Did it make you feel like you wanted to be shy and be pushed away? Or did it give you a charge of confrontation and you wanted to go back? You know, what's interesting. Jesus makes a point of telling the people that would be his disciples that they were going to be rejected, even hated. Yes, that they would be hated for his namesake. He says in Matthew 10, verse 22, as he's sending them out, he says, and you will be hated by all men for my name's sake. But he that endures to the end will be saved. And as I leaf through several commentaries, I came across Matthew Henry, and I like what he has to say about those who would be Jesus' disciples, those who would follow Jesus and follow hard after him. Listen to what he says about this very verse. They must expect, they meaning those that follow Jesus as disciples, must expect to be hated. Something we must expect, he says. You should be hated for my name's sake. He says, that's the root of all the rest. A bitter root it is. He said, note, those whom love Jesus and those that Jesus loves, the world hates. As whom the court blesses, the country curses. In John 15, 25 says that if the world hated Christ, it hated him without a cause. That it's no marvel, we know, that the world hated those who bore his image and served his interest. We hate what is nauseous. And the disciples are counted as the off of all things in 1 Corinthians 4.13. We hate what is noxious. The disciples are counted as troublers of the land in 1 Kings 18-17. Here they're speaking of Elijah the prophet. You know, it's grievous to be hated. And it's the object of so much ill will, but that was for the name of Christ being hated. So that speaks comfort for us and for those who might be hated. And this looks like a good cause because why? Because we have a dear friend who was hated before we were. We have a dear close person who calls us friend, who calls us his own, and we share that hate with them. And he takes that hate upon himself. Rejection. We're going to talk a lot about that today. So we need to know what it's about. Webster's 1828 Dictionary defines reject to mean throw away. As anything useless or vile. It means to cast off, to forsake. It also means to refuse. When you reject something, you refuse to receive it. You slight it. You despise it. Reject can also mean refuse to grant, like granting a request. Reject an offer. Rejection. In fact, rejection means the act of throwing away, the act of causing and casting off, forsaking. Rejection, refusal to accept or grant. This is what Stephen's been talking about in chapter 7 of the book of Acts. He's been talking about Israel's rejection. Stephen's up in front of the council, and he's, he's given a defense of the indictment that the council has made for him. False claims, I might add. He's been accused falsely of blasphemy, blasphemy against Moses and blasphemy against the temple. He's been quoting scripture after scripture after scripture as he gives the council a history lesson. In fact, in last week, verses 7 through 16 that we study, Stephen pointed out to the council that Israel has always mistreated and always rejected God's messengers, beginning with Joseph. Stephen is drawing a parallel between God's messengers that Israel has rejected and the Christ, God's greatest messenger, who Israel rejected and is still rejecting to this day. The Apostle John in his gospel says this, Jesus came to his own, and his own did not receive him. John 1, As I stated earlier, as we identify with Christ, we too will be rejected and cast out of this world, even to the point of hatred. In today's study, Stephen now draws the council's attention away from Joseph, and he puts it on Moses. Moses was Israel's deliverer from Egyptian bondage. He repeats the history of Moses, and you can read it because it's found in the book of Exodus, beginning in chapter 2 the entire history of Moses and how he led the Egyptians out with the help of God. And he makes several points about the rejection of Moses. It's interesting that even though Moses is still to this day revered by Israel, he is still their deliverer. He is still known as the deliverer of Israel even to today. Stephen says, your forefathers rejected him. Your forefathers constantly rejected him. So as we begin our study, we look at verses 17 through 19a. We see God's perfect timing. He says, but when the time of the promise drew near, which God had sworn to Abraham, the people grew and multiplied in Egypt till another king arose who did not know Joseph. This man dealt treacherously with our people and oppressed our forefathers. I don't know if you ever noticed this or not, but God uses a different timepiece than we do. You ever notice that? God's watch doesn't work the same as ours. His timing is always way different than ours. Make no mistake about it. God's never late. In fact, he's always on time, right on time. See, God had a specific purpose for allowing Jacob and his sons and all the family to come down to Egypt. He wanted to build a nation. You can find that in Genesis 12 too when he said to Abraham, He chose the descendants of Abraham, and he said that when I build this nation, I want you to come out, and I want you to be my people, and I'm going to be your God. That's what God's plan was. He even tells Abraham that this people that I'm going to call my own, you know, they're going to be held bondage and captive in another nation and by another nation. But in 400 years, I'm going to bring them out. See, Scripture tells them that this new nation that God was building would be afflicted and oppressed, but he would deliver them out of bondage in his time. You feel like you might be oppressed at this time? You feel like you might be going through some circumstances that are beyond your control? You feel like you might be having some difficulties and you're waiting on God to deliver you? In his time. God's timing is perfect. But he said that the people would be oppressed. He said that the people would be afflicted. Did you ever notice (laughs) that sometimes God's plan involves suffering? Did you ever notice that sometimes God's plan involves pain? Sorrow? No, not God. All things with God are happy, right? Well, that's true in your heart. But life is cruel. Life is miserable. Life can be downright nasty and horrible. And there is pain, there is suffering. In John 16 Jesus said, In this world, you're going to have tribulation. In Philippians 3 10, the Apostle Paul says, We must identify with Christ's resurrection and his suffering. We must identify with those. And Peter puts it this way in 1 Peter 5, verse 10. But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Jesus Christ, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. Yes, God's plan may include suffering. But Jesus reminds us that he has overcome the world. And he reminds us that in him, in Jesus, we will have perfect peace. He gives us the answers that in Christ, we are overcomers. That's good news. That's great news for us because guess what? Affliction will come. You're either coming out of affliction or you're either going into one. And I've said this before in this venue, and I'll say it again. One of my most favorite passages in the Bible is, and it came to pass. Are all things bad in your life? Yeah, and it came to pass. Are all things good in your life? Yeah, and it came to pass. God has promised that there would be suffering. And for me to stand up here and tell you otherwise, it would be a mistake. And it's not biblical. God has promised that there would be hard times. But He's also promised to be with us during the hard times. He's also promised to guide us during the hard times, to comfort us, to give us peace, that we can shine our love in the midst of hard times, that others will come in. And that's what's happening right here. And we're going to talk about that. As we continue in verse 19b through 20, it says, making them expose their babies so that they might not live. At this time, Moses was born and was well-pleasing to God and he was brought up in the Father's house for three months. Another question for you. I'm full of questions today. Did you ever notice that Satan always wants to thwart the plan of God? Did you ever notice that everything's going well and all of a sudden something starts to go amiss? Satan wants to thwart God's plan. Well, I know this is God's plan for me and all of a sudden, bang, there's Satan and things are going awry. you ever get kind of confused? Well, I know this is God's plan. Why is this happening? Well, You're right. It's God's plan. Maybe that's why it is happening. Maybe that's why it's happening to you. Satan always wants to thwart God's plan. In these verses, a new Pharaoh takes place. A new Pharaoh comes in, and he doesn't know anything about Joseph at all. He doesn't know Joseph or anything about the family. But the nation's growing and growing and growing, and he's looking out and going, wait a minute. What's wrong with this picture? Israelite, 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 Egyptian. Israelite, Israelite, Israelite. Wait a minute. There's too many of them and too few of us. Aha, let's come up with a plan. Midwives, when they're having a baby, when the baby comes, kill it. What? Yeah, kill it. I don't want these Israelites to get up too high. But look what it says. If, you, if you're in Exodus and you follow the book of Exodus in chapter 1, it was the fear of God that these midwives did not kill the children of Israel. God put a fear in their heart, and they didn't kill them. And they went back to Pharaoh and made concocted some crazy story that, you know, these these, these Hebrew women, they're tough in childbirth. And by the time we get there, the baby's already born. And they've whisked him away. And then Pharaoh says, well, then let's do this. Throw him in the river. All the male children, let's just throw them in the river then. Pick him up and throw him in. Set him aside. Get him out of here. But the interesting fact here is that in Exodus 1, verse 20, it says, God dealt well with the midwives. God blessed these Egyptian midwives for what they did. He blessed them because they didn't follow Pharaoh's commands and kill the babies. He blessed them abundantly. Pharaoh says, throw them into the river. Throw them into the river and let them die. So in Acts 7, verses 21 to 23, we see Moses now is going to be born. He's going to be set into the river. He's going to be taken up by the daughter of Pharaoh, and he's going to be raised as her son. He grows into manhood, learning all wisdom of Egyptians, becoming mighty in words and deeds. It says, at this time Moses was born and was well-pleasing to God. And he was brought up in his father's house for three months. But when he was set out, Pharaoh's daughter took him away and brought him up as her own son. And Moses learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deeds. Now when he was 40 years old, it came to his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. Moses grows up, he gets grown. And it happens that when Moses was 40 years old, he wants to go out and visit his brethren. God put it upon his heart. And his heart tells you that he wants to see his people How did he know he was an Israeli? According to the Ten Commandments in the movie, they hid it from him. Well, not so. If you continue in Exodus, it says that they took the baby Moses back to his mother to nurse. So he was being nursed, and his mother and father, they were teaching him in the customs. He knew he was not an Egyptian. He knew he was an Israelite. But he grew up, and he had the best training possible. He was groomed to become the next pharaoh. All the while, he knew his origins because of his mother. And then Moses' heart starts to be exposed to his people in verses 24 and 28. And seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended and avenged him who was oppressed and struck down the Egyptian. For he supposed that his brethren would have understood that God would deliver them by his hand. But they did not understand. And the next day, he appeared to two of them as they were fighting. And he tried to reconcile them, saying, Men, you are brethren. Why do you wrong one another? But he who did his neighbor wrong pushed Moses away saying, who made you a ruler and judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you did the Egyptian yesterday? Ouch. Moses had some sort of sense of destiny. He somehow felt that perhaps because of his position as son of Pharaoh, he somehow felt that he was destined to lead these people out of the bondage and they would listen to him because of his stature, because of his power, so to speak. He had this awareness, this consciousness. And he was really surprised when they didn't recognize him. He was really surprised when he jumped out and said, I'm the deliverer. Yeah, yeah, sure. You're just a murderer. What are you going to do, kill us too? Ow, oh, and, and that hurt him. What happened here, is Moses is getting ahead of God. He tried to do what God wanted out of the ability of his own flesh and not out of the Holy Spirit. He knew what God wanted. He was aware of God's purposes. His big mistake was getting ahead of God. Moses decided to do himself a favor and help God out. He got ahead of God. Now, I'm sure in here, no one has ever done that. No one has ever ever got ahead of God. No one has ever walked in the flesh and said, I'm going to do this for the Lord. I'm going to roll up my sleeves, I got this one, God, and walk out and start doing it. I'm sure that's never happened. But I can tell you what, it has happened in this room because I've done it. I've done it. I've gotten ahead of God. Oh, we often make this mistake. We know what God wants to do. We're sure of what God wants to do, but we don't wait. We don't wait for God. We don't wait for his empowering to do it. We get out there and we try to do it in the energy of our own flesh. Big mistake. We know what God wants, what God's desire. You ever notice when you try it out how unsuccessful you are? How things fall apart when you try to do things in your own ability? When, things, when you try to prop things up in your own flesh, how things just fall apart? Because God's not in it. Moses couldn't even bury this Egyptian. He wanted to kill the Egyptians one person at a time when God's plan was, hey, Moses, I got a better idea. I'm going to kill the whole army at once. See, that's God's plan. Man's plan is, I'll just take them one at a time. You don't know who we're dealing with. God says, no, I'll wipe them out all at once. Just trust me. We need to be careful when we have this zeal, when we want to work for God. We start off without the anointing and the direction of the Holy Spirit and the ability of the energies of our flesh to accomplish the purpose that God has told us He wants to accomplish. We're going to end up like Moses in failure. The work of the Spirit can never be accomplished in the flesh. To do the work of the Spirit, I have to be anointed. I have to be empowered, and I have to be directed by the Spirit of God. So many problems that I have made in my own life, just like Moses, I've made knowing what God wants to do, but stepping out in the flesh and not the Spirit. That's a problem that we've made. So many problems arise that way. I try to fulfill God's promises or God's purpose without the leading and direction of the Holy Spirit. I get ahead of God, and I botch things up, just as Moses did. We try to hide the Egyptians. The writer of Proverbs, which probably was Solomon, says in Proverbs 14, 12, there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end is the way of death. And again, in 16, 9, it says, a man's heart plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. Moses killed the Egyptian, and he was trying to prevent the beating of one of his brethren. This is good, but it was a premature attempt to do and fulfill his destiny. Moses tried to make himself Israel's delivery in a way that made sense to him. But we know God's ways are not our ways. God's thoughts are not our thoughts. He does things totally different than we might ever think that he's going to do something. Can you imagine this? If Moses sat down, can you imagine this? Moses calls, Aaron, come here. Have a seat. We're going to deliver Israel. This is how we're going to do it. Let's see. Hmm. Okay, I'll get a stick, and when I go before Pharaoh, I'll throw this stick down and, 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 and it'll turn to a snake. Yeah, yeah, that's it. It'll turn to a snake. Okay? All right, yeah, this sounds like a good plan. Go for it, Mo. Go for it. This is great. And then he won't let us go, but then what will we do? Um, we, can, uh, we can cast out some plagues? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll cast out some plagues. What do you like? Well, I like lice. Lice it is. Frogs? cool. Mosquitoes Cool. And they go down the list. Then what are we going to do? Then we're going to get the heck out of Dodge. We're going to run for our lives. He says, yeah, but Moses, we're going to come to the Red Sea. Ah, no sweat. We'll just part it and go through. Aaron's going, what a plan. This is great. This is great. Let's do it. You think that's the plan they had? You think they sat down and thought that up? Man doesn't think that way. At least not anybody I know, I might think of visions of grandeur, but holy mackerel, that's crazy. Moses planned to deliver Israel in a way that only man could deliver them, And logically, he saw himself as the boss. I'm the guy. I'm going to be the deliverer. Can you imagine the first day this happened? Hey, Israel, I'm going to deliver you. What? You don't believe me? Wait a minute. Me? Yeah, look. See the big D on my chest? Deliverer. What's wrong with you guys? Now, God wanted to deliver Israel. God wanted to deliver Israel. And he chose Moses to do it. And he was sitting there the entire time watching this act, yelling, yo, Moses, wait for me. You're a little bit ahead of me. I'm going to have to reel you back in. I'm going to have to reel you back in. Moses had no idea at the time, but he was too big for God to use. He was too big for God to use. Moses tried to do the Lord's work with man's wisdom and man's power, and it never works that way. If you're not in tune with the Holy Spirit, if you're not anointed by the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit the overflowing, if you're not walking on a day to day basis through the Holy Spirit, don't try to do the work of God because you will fail miserably, just like Moses. Moses had 40 years of perfect preparation in the house of Pharaoh 40 years. Perfect preparation. God says, Nana, it's not enough. And he ran, he ran away. He And to go through 40 more years of preparation in the desert. 40 more years. When we act in the place of God without the guidance of the Holy Spirit, we're going to get a similar response. Has this ever happened to you? You saw somebody doing something wrong. Somebody's doing something wrong, and you act upon what they're doing wrong. You act upon something that's wrong. And what happens? The first thing that is said to you when you act, thinking God's in it, you act to it. The first thing they go, look, and go, don't judge me. You're not my judge. Who do you think you are coming to me that way and saying, I'm doing this and I'm doing that? You need to be spirit-led. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit to accomplish what God wants to accomplish. You can't do the things in the flesh. Is it something that God wants or is it something that we want? Remember, getting ahead of God, we talked about God's timing. We said it's the purpose during the time, it's not the end result. It's as this time you're waiting on God. It's the purpose of what's happening then because God cares about the now. God cares about now, cares about you right now. He cares about you. His timing is indeed perfect. When the Upper Township Fellowship closed, I struggled with God and I argued with God because why would God close the fellowship that was drawing 30 to 40 people? Why would he close that? It wasn't my time. I had the right call, but it was the wrong time. That's what happened to Moses. Moses knew he had the calling of God, but it was the wrong timing. You are sure hope.
0: Thank you for joining us here today on A Sure Hope. In this series, Pastor Dave has been teaching through the book of Acts. This book follows the journeys of many disciples, but especially of the Apostle Paul. He took several missionary trips to tell others about Jesus, and he acquired many companions along the way. Wouldn't it be interesting to be a traveling missionary? He met many people who readily accepted the message he was bringing. In other cities, his life was threatened and he was pushed out, as people didn't want to hear about the way. But being a Christian isn't meant to just be an easy road. As Paul's life displayed, you go into it knowing that there will be obstacles that you face. Is it worth it, you might ask? Of course it is! The prize that you'll be rewarded is far more precious than the things of this world. Staying true to Jesus, who gave up everything for you, is the best way you can live your life for Him. We're so glad we got to spend time with you today. A sure Hope is a ministry out of Calvary Chapel, Cape May, in Cape May, New Jersey. If you're in the area, we'd love to see you on Sunday mornings. Check out assurehoperadio.com for service times and directions. Once again, that's assurehoperadio.com. And don't worry if you can't make it in person. On the website, you'll notice links to our live stream via Facebook and YouTube. All of these can be accessed through assurehoperadio.com. Don't forget to come back next time as Pastor Dave continues to go through the book of Acts again right here on Assure Hope.